0: Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato, or Dostoevsky, or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks... As you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the wisdom of coming up today Existentialism, the Affirmative Philosophy.
1: So just as a, uh, uh, an aside off the top, it's very interesting listening to the podcast as a, a pure listener. I know Nietzsche is famous for kind of, I guess, quote unquote, killing God. And it's it's nice to see that uh, last week you killed Santa Claus. But I guess we should get right to the topic at hand, which is not what I'm going to do. I know someone who who works as a health inspector. And he or she, he or she gave me an interesting little tidbit, a factoid, if you will, that if you see a restaurant, like, like, say, for example, one that specializes in Australian mutton, and they close down, but another nearly identical Australian mutton place opens up almost immediately on the exact same spot, that this is a huge red flag. It probably means that it's the same restaurant. Just with a cosmetic name change, like they were, they used to be Mad Max's Mutton, now they're Max's Mad Mutton, and they're just really dodging some horrifying health code violations. All this kind of reminds me of an ill-fated trip that I took over the Christmas holidays. I thought I was going to SeaWorld. Now, relax everybody, I know the stories about SeaWorld, how these beautiful creatures like dolphins and such, that they shouldn't be held in such captive conditions, that they are surprisingly smart. But on a side note, I've yet to see any dolphin host a single podcast, even a sports one. So whatever. But I get it. SeaWorld, it's a maybe a bad thing with a bad reputation at this point, but I just wanted to go. But then when I got there... It wasn't SeaWorld. It had actually been taken over. Some kind of hostile takeover of some kind by a by a consortium of international existentialists. And they had rebranded it SeaLife. But as I toured the park, I saw nothing but nothing but empty tanks, empty pools, so no whales, no dolphins, no nothing. So of course, I immediately channeled the uh, my only child within, and I started screaming at the top of my lungs that I I hate sea life. Sea life sucks, and I want my money back. Now, the manager, he was a, a French chap named Jean-Paul who had this really kind of bizarre, halting speech pattern. He came running up to me, and he and he says to me, he says, See, life has no porpoise." Okay, now, boom, boom, ch. Now, that was 50%, at least, of me stealing from Norm Macdonald, which is 100% my fault for being, let's say, 75% less funny. But what do you want? This is free. So, existentialism? Sea life has no purpose. Wow, well, you
0: actually took some time to craft an intro. Amazing. Maybe it's got something to do with the, uh, the new year. Oh, and, um, speaking of which, Happy New Year's, of course, to all of you out there who decide to sacrifice a a few minutes of your life each week listening to the wisdom of. Thanks for being here. Well, okay, so I think you muttered the word existentialism at the end there. So I guess that's going to have to do as an intro. So yeah, today's topic is going to be about existentialism. And specifically, it's more... Well, let's say it's more positive, affirmative aspect. And um, if you don't know, existentialism, in general, is a philosophical approach which emphasizes the nature of human existence. Or uh, better yet, maybe, existentialism as a philosophy takes as its starting point the existence of the individual person. Okay, well, let's get to it.
1: If you if you mention existentialism in most people, you'll probably get uh, one of two reactions. You'll get a kind of dismissive huh and a violent shrug of disinterest. Like when I tried to I tried to show off to my cab driver one time and I wanted to drop some highfalutin existential tidbits that I'd gleaned from watching YouTube and he was totally not interested. He muttered something blah, blah, blah about being a pre-Socratic or something stupid like that. Now, the other reaction you'll get from people is, well, you get hit with a barrage of fun time party words like dread, angst, suffering, and meaninglessness. Oh yeah, I forgot. Also, maybe anxiety, despair, crisis. Just think of some of the like films and novels that come to the top of your mind when you think of existential stuff. You could think about Kafka's The Trial, or, or how about the Black Death setting of uh, Ingmar Bergman's Seventh Seal, or even tangentially existential stuff like Great Gatsby and its soul-crushing result of the so-called American Dream. Or even an even worse fate for most American men. How about if we look at Hemingway's post-war tale, Sun Also Rises, where, where a certain type of manly, shall we say, potency has had a, a horrifying prefix, the im attached in front. But it all does feel like really kind of half the equation, an important, necessary half, but still incomplete. Isn't there supposed to be, and I'll use a very uh, technical word here, a good half, a uh, life-affirming half, maybe?
0: Life-affirming, yeah, I-, I think that's a good way of putting it. But you know, before we get to that, I think it's probably best to give some background here. That's to say, before we look at its positive aspect, we first need to see why it is existentialism is often seen in a in a negative light. Well. Okay, so many of us think reflectively about wanting to live meaningful and good lives, right? We know that we're finite beings and so only have one shot at things. But when we look around, we acknowledge that there are no signposts for which direction to take. We find no set of instructions for how to live exactly. We're aware that all that exists is our choices. Choices that will determine how our lives play out. And um, knowing this, of course, brings us anxiety. Well, essentially, existentialism starts with this. It starts from the standpoint of each one of us as individuals existing not in the abstract, but concretely, reflecting on how it is we should make sense of our brief, finite existence. Now, like you mentioned, a lot of this sounds pretty pretty weighty and even negative, right? Nothing seems very straightforward. I mean, how do we know what the right choices are? In a finite life without any ultimate meaning or significance, how do we make sense of the purpose of our existence, and how do we deal with the anxiety that comes with questioning external sources of meaning? How do we deal with the scope of our choices and with the weight and responsibility of our freedom? What about the the despair that the recognition of our death brings? You get the idea. The heavy questions existentialism brings up can leave us feeling quite gloomy, to say the least. Okay, but it's really important to keep something in mind here, and it's this. For all its focus on the struggles of the human condition and on our spiritual ailments, ultimately, existentialism is a deeply affirmative and constructive philosophy. So, how so? Well, for starters, by highlighting our own individual personal fears and vulnerabilities and relating them to, let's call it, the universal structures of human existence— what existentialism ultimately does is it shows us that we're not alone in our struggles. In other words, existentialism ennobles our personal worries and our fears by relating them to those shared by all human beings. So, what seems so devastatingly personal, so inward, and so unique, really isn't. Now, this recognition has a, a twofold effect. One, knowing that our existential concerns aren't unique to us not only softens our own struggles, but more importantly, what acknowledgement of our own suffering does is it gets us to recognize the potential for suffering of others outside of us. So, even though existentialism attends to what is personal, it isn't self-indulgent. And that's because it opens us up to what is personal for all human beings who reflect on their existence. This brings us together in a deep and genuine way. Okay, so, um, what else? How is it that existentialism, with all this focus on anxiety and dread, is actually an affirmative philosophy? Well, here's something else to consider. So, from a cosmic perspective... We're just a speck of dust, right? That's to say, our existence here is all too brief. And not only that, but the fact that we're here at all is contingent. In other words, it certainly might not have happened. Now, I realize that this can sound like a a cause for despair. But does it have to be? I mean, many existentialists stress that our existence brief and contingent as it is, is also, and because of this, a great wonder. That we're here at all is a marvel. That we get to be alive and conscious and that we get to participate in this drama of existence, all of this against the backdrop of an eternally dark and dead cosmos, is absolutely a gift. You could say then that ultimately, The proper existentialist response to our life is not despair, but a sense of both urgency and gratitude towards that brief moment of existence that we're allotted. Okay, well, so what else is affirmative about existentialism? Well, remember I said at the outset that, according to existentialism, there's no ultimate meaning or purpose to our existence. And again, that might seem cause for despair. But not so for existentialists. For them, even though the world has no intrinsic meaning, it's we who give life meaning. And we do it through our choices, and our actions, and our projects, and our way of seeing and approaching things. Now, that we're ultimately not the discoverers, but the creators of value and significance— That's pretty inspiring and ennobling, isn't it? Through our actions and our power of interpretation, we ourselves can transform the world and how it is we experience life. And by the way, this transformation applies to us as individuals too. I mean, according to existentialism, we human beings don't have any sort of fixed or predetermined essence. And our path in life is not set by our given circumstances. No, we're shot through with potential and possibility. We can shape our own existence. We can transcend ourselves. That's to say, we can always go beyond what we've been in the past and what we currently are. And we can move on to entirely new actualizations. To put it bluntly, according to existentialism, Our existence is pure, creative, active, becoming. So as long as we exist, we're never finished. Again, how electrifying and inspiring is that? Well, let me mention one more thing. So another really important constructive aspect of existentialism, and this may sound strange, is its turn away from systematic truth and the objective sciences. Now, I said strange because how can it be a good thing to turn away from science and so on, right? Well, let me first make it clear that existentialism is not counseling us to be ignorant about the objective world out there. No, not at all. But it is telling us that if we want to think about our existence as individuals, If we want to make our lives meaningful, then we need to turn in a different direction. We need to turn inward towards the subjective, which is what existentialism offers. Now, of course, both science and systematic truth are wonderful things. I mean, the different domains of science help us to understand human beings and their various workings. You know, whether it has to do with the physiological or the um, cognitive, or the social, and so on. But here's the thing. None of these workings or fields of science can capture what it means to exist from the perspective of a single, unique human individual. No science can tell us how to live or what to live for. For that, we need to move in the direction of introspective reflection. We need to enter in on a personal quest. Actually, a really good example here is the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, sometimes referred to as the father of existentialism. Kierkegaard criticized the the hyper-rationalism and the emphasis on the objective sciences that dominated his era because he believed that they couldn't address those issues that crucially matter to us as individuals. Regarding this, he said something pretty incredible. What he said, in one of his own journal entries, actually, is this. He said, The crucial thing is to find a truth which is true for me, to find the idea for which I am willing to live and die. That's the personal quest or mission that that I was talking about, and it's something that existentialism can help with. Now again, in saying this, Kierkegaard is not trying to promote ignorance about the objective world. No, he's just saying that objective knowledge by itself can never answer the most important of questions namely, what should I do and how should I live? At the end of the day, it's personal meaning and experience that we want. And more than any other philosophy, It's existentialism that can best set us out on the path towards that. And this is why, despite its difficulties and its discomforts, existentialism is a philosophy of affirmation. Listening to The Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode. Beyond Chul Han.